story. I may have shared this with some of you before because it's funny to me, but this was actually our first year when we launched the church, launched services in 2013, and I had a second job working at J. Crew as a personal stylist. If you need me later, let me know. Just kidding. Um, but we all, we all had, yeah, I mean, we've always had, we called ourselves multivocational. So at the time when we were first starting the church, I got this random job at J. Crew. And during Lent, this was the year that the Catholic Church, the Pope stepped down and they were in an interim and didn't have a Pope for like a hot minute. And so I'm in J. Crew, minding my own business. This woman comes in. She really is just into the shopping moment, and she buys a lot of stuff. And so I'm ringing her up, and she goes, yeah, I gave up shopping for Lent, but I figure since we don't have a Pope right now, this doesn't count. (laughs) And I was thinking, I I was sitting there thinking, like, she has no idea that I'm, like, a pastor, and that is not how Lent works. (laughs) But I thought, it, I just thought of it when, when I was prepping for this sermon. I know. <laughs> I was like, good try, but it doesn't work that way. I mean, you know. Anyway, but we're talking about, okay, <laughs> it's really funny. No. <laughs> we're talking about reputation for these next several weeks. And we are becoming, through this conversation, conscientious objectors of the status quo. And this is really what we do all the time, hopefully, around here, what we try to do. We are resisting and rejecting the existing state of things by self-examining and laying down power and privilege left and right, even though it's hard and would be easier to just keep it. (laughs) We're doing kingdom work. This is the work of heaven on earth now. And I've got some proof. I've looked over the past year of what we've been up to, and I see proof that kingdom work is happening. I see proof in our consistently and boldly offering space and learning about true inclusion in this gathering space. We call ourselves inclusive, but we also realize we are learning what that really means and have a long way to go. We are doing ongoing anti-racism work, which includes small groups that we did in the fall, which includes a book club that we did yesterday, page-led, reading White Supremacy and Me, and it includes a Dig Deep workshop coming up in May um, called Unlearning White Supremacy, Save the Day, March 4th, I mean May 14th. And all of this dismantling and talk about white supremacy also includes the rejection of hierarchy in general. And I see us doing the same kind of kingdom work also in our conversations around earth care and creation stewardship with our retreat. This is what we talked about with our spring small groups all spring long. We're having these conversations. We have a small group this Thursday. It's so important. Please come participate. And we're doing it in this hard look at our reputation as the perceived beliefs or opinions that a person will have about you or the self-image that you want to convey. And we're doing this today. We're going to feminism. Next week, Matt's going to preach on comparison and competition. And we've got Jana, one of our deacons, preaching uh, two weeks after that on achievement and our relationship with achievement. And all this work we're doing, all of it, is the work of Christ. Because... My favorite, one of my favorite poems, Christ has 
No, no body, but ours. Yep, Christ has no hands, no feet, but ours. And we're using them here. And all our serving and all our advocating and all of our learning, we are following Christ. And through our inner work, our commitment, constant commitment to rejection of ego in favor of spirit, we are following Christ. And so in all of these ways, we are practicing actually living out that Imago Dei theology, that we were created in the image of God. We say that. We believe it. It's a whole different thing to live it out to its fullness. But in our text today, Jesus speaks to this when he essentially says, this is my entire 17-verse thing I just read you. He says, be spirit-born. And I love the imagery in this text of the contrast between Nicodemus and Jesus. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a faith leader, an academic, a person of social standing, and he sort of represents rationality and dualism and the proper order of things and logic and reason all over here with Nicodemus. Not necessarily bad things. It's just what he's representing. And Jesus over here holding it down for mysticism, <laughs> non-dualism. What he's saying doesn't really make sense, still doesn't make sense, right? Aaron pointed that out in communion meditation. Be born again, but then again, love isn't logical, faith isn't certain, and the stuff of heaven, the stuff of God, will not be rationalized, no matter how hard we try. Be spirit born. And I have a definition for spirit born. I call it an intentional rebirth, choosing a spirit of consciousness over ego consciousness. Choosing a spirit consciousness over ego consciousness. It's the essence of everything we try to live into in this community. It's our collective effort to make all things new. Again, this is kingdom work. This includes and begins inside each of us. And so this is why we're talking about our reputations and consciously rejecting what a consumer-driven society says our, our images ought to look like. There are lots of ways that we consume things. This could be a whole sermon series. But I'm just defining consumerism today specifically as our habits and our rhythms pertaining to shopping and spending and acquiring stuff, okay? And I want to speak really succinctly about this and really simply because we all consume differently. We're all coming at this from a different place in life, different experiences, different financial ability. Um, we have different layers and relationships with how we come at this conversation. And so I recognize that I can't speak intimately in one message to each of you on what it means. And that's why we have this reflection time, this contemplative prayer time during Lent, so that you can really think critically for yourself about what you need to be concerned with when, as it relates to these themes. And so what's your relationship with consumerism? So I know a lot of people in here who are honestly bosses. Like, they they have healthy relationships with consumerism. I can just tell by the way they live their lives. It's clearly a thing they're good at. And then there's other people who it's maybe not their jam. And so 
what's your relationship and how is this topic relevant to your life where you're sitting right now? That's something that I want to challenge you to think about this week. Let that be your thought for the week, your Lenten thought for the week. Please go out of here and keep thinking about it so that it becomes a practical, you know, helpful message for you to lean into. My relationship with consumerism, when I think about this reflection and everything, I would sum it up um, as, have here it says, it sucks. <laughs> um, no, seriously. So I, ha I realize, so first of all, here's my, here's, I'm going to share one bad habit, just a very simple bad habit of mine. I don't like to buy things that are used. I feel embarrassed standing up here because that sounds silly, right? But I'm going to be honest. I don't like to buy things that are used. And if I go to the movies, I have to get popcorn. Like, I have to. And I have put all this together, and I've thought hard about it. And Fran and Matt and I talked about this before we even planned this series. And I told them this, that I realized that there's some trauma there at, the, uh, at why I make those choices, why I have that opinion about things. And it, for me, it rests at the intersection of financial ableness and racial identity. Okay? So... Um, I have this theory that, because this is the part in church where they'll start to tell you to be ashamed, to feel guilty, that it's your sinful nature, that blah, 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 you're bad or whatever. Well, sorry, I don't think I'm bad. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't. I think that God's spirit lives in me and that I'm good. And I think that a lot of my flaws and shortcomings and unhealthy habits are a result of various traumas. And we all have traumas. Some of them are bad, some of them are very severe, some of them maybe aren't that deep, but whatever, it affected us, it was painful, or, you know, we had a certain experience, and it affects how we see the world, how we make decisions. And so, as a young child, I often felt, in my context, like an outsider. I lived in a small southern town, lots of racial tension, lots of black versus white, there was nobody who looked like me except my own family. And also, I just want to pause because my dad's here, and I'm going to embarrass him. He's right there. My dad loved me so well. Like, I just even want to give a round of applause to all the good-loving dads. <laughs> my dad was such an awesome dad to have, so I'm so grateful for that. But you, I have a kid. You can't protect them from what they experience completely, right? And the combination of not, not fitting in because of the color of my skin and experiencing racism, which, by the way, I didn't even know. I'm having to go back and rework through all of that. But the combination of that not fitting in with the combination of not always being able to afford, you know, to participate in things... I couldn't buy my way in, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It gave me a sense of missing out that I realize I still live into a lot. I worry about feeling left out, being left out of situations. And so it's like now when, when I 
com- when I combine that with how I spend money, I see myself like if I buy something, I want it to be new. I don't want this, you, you know, like it's this sense of victory if I can get it myself, you know. Does that make sense? And if I'm going to the movies, I want the popcorn. I want the drink. Like I want the whole thing. <laughs> so I'm like I'm working from a place of scarcity. Now, that doesn't make my habits right, but what it does do is it helps me to face the realities of my habits with self-compassion, which I really need. Because I believe for all of us that our habits, like our shortcomings and a lot of our flaws, are probably a result of some untapped trauma. And we need to be kind to ourselves to discover what that is so that we can have some healing. And so... Realizing this doesn't make me go, okay, well, that's okay then. It actually just makes me go, oh, I'm living into scarcity there. I don't, I'm a child of God. I was born to live in, into abundance. And so I can be free of this ego grasp because I'm empowered by Christ to live a life of abundance. And I don't mean material abundance. I mean spirit-filled abundance. Yeah, so, so what is your relationship? That's, that's mine. I shared something there. I did it. I'm going to feel silly for like 24 hours. Vulnerability hangover later after this. But what, what's yours? I want you to think about it, and I want you to consider if there's some trauma at play. Because there probably is. And you don't have to go that alone. You don't have to figure that out alone. You can be in this community. We can share our honest experiences. We can work through our traumas. And we can know healing together. But when I think about, when we think about consumerism, we have to, you know, turn and look to Jesus, look to scripture, to the one we follow. And we have to consider things like money and wealth. And so I don't want this to be a super long sermon. Like I said, it could be a, a series but just like a few quick things in the Gospels we see. We see that the more wealth we have, the less easy it is for us to trust in the resources of God. Uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Matthew 19:24. We see Jesus reject greed and self-indulgence in favor of inner work. So Matthew 23, 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside so that the outside may also become clean. This is inner work. And we also see Jesus calling out wealth when it's used selfishly or for exploitation. In Mark 12, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Watch out for the people in power. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. I try to keep mine short. Just kidding. Okay. Bad, bad timing for that joke. Um, in all of these examples, and there's so many more, we see an interconnectedness between inner work, the state of our hearts, and outer work, how we live and move and make choices in the world. This interconnectedness still rings true for us today. 
And so it makes sense that a conversation about consumerism would be relevant, not just to a faith community, but to each of our inner work. So when we're talking about things like consumerism, how we spend money, the kind of things we put, bring into our home, the stakes are higher than our own habits because we have to realize that our consumer tendencies affect the earth and they affect the poorest of the earth. So I want to invite you to continue thinking deeply about this topic and think about the ways you need to engage it. Come to our small groups because it will really go head to head with this. But for me, I'm keeping it super simple and I'm asking myself two questions. I'm committing to ask myself two questions as I spend money and acquire stuff. One, how will this affect the poor? And two, how will this affect the earth? First off, I realize this is a privileged conversation that I could even do that. I mean, that I could pause and take the time to think those questions. That means that I have a responsibility if I'm able to do that. If you're able to do that, you have the responsibility to do it. So those are just two simple questions, but I can't help but wonder how my life and my choices and what my home looks like and everything would look differently if I committed to really asking them. And then following through with what the answer is that I get. And it's hard to do this. It's hard to do it when you don't see the harm right in front of your face. It becomes an act of faith to make mindful choices. It is an act of faith to make mindful, compassionate choices that are kind to the earth and that are kind to the most vulnerable people on the earth. It's like that pesky old mustard seed. You got to believe that your small changes in how you consume can make a difference, not just for you, but for the care of the earth and the people in it. So this is the type of thing that I tend to suck at. I mean, there's some things I'm great at. We can't be great at everything, right? But this is the type of thing that we will all probably fail at because we live in a consumer-driven culture. It's normalized, it's easy, it's convenient, it's the quickest thing, you know, it's just something we don't even think about most of the time. So we will probably fail some, but luckily, the grace of beginning again will sustain us. This is a mantra that I really love that I picked up from meditating, and I'm not good at that either, by the way, so don't get it twisted. <laughs> but it is this idea that when you fail in your meditation, but also just for me as a mantra, when you fail in life, when you didn't reach that goal, when you had that plan to work out or what all your random little goals that you make and you don't do it and then you just want to give up. Instead, you give yourself grace and you just begin again. You just do it again. Over and over and over, we begin again. And I think when we do this on a spiritual level, over time, we become mystics. This is our counter posture to consumerism, this mystical, spirit-born posture. And so my favorite verse, which Aaron read during the communion meditation, we're on the same wavelength. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born with the Spirit. I think Jesus is saying, let's get down with some mystery. 
because mystics don't need certainty. Mystics listen to spirit. Mystics trust a lot of times without reason. Mystics know without a doubt that we are connected to the earth and to the people in it. We're connected. We don't need proof. We don't need someone to give us all these arguments against climate change because of whatever. We are connected to the earth and the people in it. And mystics know that on a soul level without needing to argue or debate about it. Advent is the perfect season to practice developing this kind of, this born-again mystic posture Jesus is talking about in today's reading. And in Jesus' time, the rabbis believed that night was the best time to study the law because there were no interruptions. So it's interesting to me that Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. Maybe he didn't want to risk his reputation, but maybe, just maybe, there's an off chance he wanted to take in divine presence uninterrupted. So to me, night is a great metaphor for mystery, and night is a great metaphor for Lent. So it's spring around the corner, daylight savings, right? And even as our days grow longer and the sun begins to shine brighter, we choose to be here in this Lenten season, in this uninterrupted space of giving up our ego so that our spirit self can flourish. We choose to self-examine and choose to prepare and we choose to wait. And all this requires discipline and sacrifice in its work and we do it all in the darkness of this night we call Lent, this long night. We are shrouded in mystery, but we're not alone. We are hidden in Christ, bound up in his beauty, divine intimacy. And if it doesn't make sense, it probably means we're doing something right. Amen. <laughs>